0: So today, I want to begin in a place that I think is very apropos, considering this is Martin Luther King weekend. I'm going to begin with a story that I've actually told a little bit before, and I hope you will listen and uh, engage. Because at first, it might not seem like it, but it is a story that actually fits there. But as well, it fits immediately with what we're going to be talking and discussing today. In the book called The Power of Habit, one of the best books I've ever read, Uh, Charles Duhigg is the man who wrote this book and he details some of the things that he has learned as he went a little deeper in a situation that was kind of one of the turning points in our society and in us and in our country in many ways you probably don't recognize the woman in the next slide you probably don't recognize who that is but if you do not you know her name if I give you one more clue I want to actually show you a picture of something that I have seen in person, and this is the next. This is the Montgomery City bus where Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat. Now, as you go a little deeper in the story itself, it's a very, very interesting story. Because the truth is is that Rosa Parks actually was living in Montgomery, Montgomery, Alabama, where there were people that went back and forth and to and fro to work and all throughout the city, and just kind of had lived in a segregated society that we know a little bit about from the history books, but probably have not experienced, although maybe some of us have, considering we're still in the South. So, as you look at this bus, this actually is up in the Dearborn, Michigan plant at the Ford Museum. Uh, And as you know, I have a daughter who is going to the University of Michigan, and so we go up there, we spend time with her, we hang out, and I've actually been... Uh, in the museum and been in the presence of this bus itself. It's a pretty cool thing. It's one of those things in history that comes alive whenever you see it in real life. You and I don't know what it was like to have the segmented buses, but there's actually three segments, not just two. I think most of us think, well, there is the, the, the white and the colored, as they termed it in that time but there was actually three different sections and Rosa Parks was actually in the section that you probably don't know about. At the front of the bus, that was the seating for the whites. In the back of the bus, that was the seating for the colored people as they termed it at that time. And then in the middle, there was kind of a section where people of either race or ethnicity could sit. You guys with me so far? So where Rosa Parks actually was sitting was in that other section that you don't know about. We knew about back of the bus, front of the bus type of thing, but she actually was sitting in between. So what happened was Rosa Parks got off work that day. She'd had a long, long day, and it's been a long week for her. And as she got up and got onto the bus, she found a seat there in that middle section because all the other seats in the back of the bus were taken. And then as people continued to get onto the bus, there were white people that had gotten onto the bus, The rules and the laws at that time said that at that time you had to get up and give your seat if there was a white person that was standing. And so what actually happened Where there were three folks sitting in that line of rows of seats between the colored section in the back and the white section in the front, and Rosa and two other people were sitting in that middle section. There was only one white man standing. And so the bus driver yells to the back. He realizes there's a white person standing. By the way, I want to just stop for just a second and say, I, I, I was raised that there was no way I would ever let a woman sit while I, or, or I sit while she stands. That just never happened. It's an interesting thing to get me onto a New York City subway because I'm like, please sit. And I'm like practically pushing a woman down. I just can't imagine what this would have been like. But the man is standing there. And there are three folks. The bus driver yells to the back, you guys have got to get out of those seats. You know the rules, basically. And so two of those people get up. There's only one white standing. Rosa Parks does not get up. There are two available seats and one man for that seat. You guys with me so far? Is this all brand new news to most of you? Some of you may know it. Some of you may not. I don't know. But in this moment things shift and things change because the bus driver insists that she get up and she said there's already a seat and there's only one white who is standing who needs that seat and it's already been provided. She does, she's not doing anything wrong but there's some sort of push. There's some sort of reason that this man insists. So he pushes and he pushes and he pushes and eventually the police are called. Rosa Parks is arrested They made a huge mistake and a huge error for those who wanted racism to continue and the division of white and black people to continue because they picked on the wrong person. Her name was Rosa Parks. We know her now as an incredible icon for injustice and against those things that we stand against and those things that we're glad have changed and need to continue to change. However, they didn't know who she was. And you probably don't know who Rosa Parks was either, but Rosa Parks was an incredible woman who basically, because of who she was, changed the face of the civil rights movement. The man that she didn't know that had just come to Montgomery, Alabama about eight months earlier was a man who was preaching at the African Methodist Church, a man by the name of Dr. Martin Luther King. And this is where it all shifts. And isn't it interesting how God brings these two incredible people to the point, to the tip of the spear of being involved in changing things in the civil rights movement. Now, this is what's so incredible. There was no way that they knew who Rosa was, but here's who she was, so you know. She was not the first African-American woman who had been arrested for not giving up her seat. She was not even the first African-American person that had been arrested that year for not giving up her seat in a public bus. But they chose to arrest her, and in the process, all of the people who knew her, including people who knew her from her life, from her church, from the things that she did in her life, immediately started making phone calls and saying, this time it's different because it's Rosa. I know who Rosa is. She's not there to cause trouble. She is the person who loves everyone, serves everyone. This is Rosa. We have to come to her defense. And she was the catalyst to begin something. And I want to tell you something else. If you do or don't know, this is incredibly interesting as well. Dr. Martin Luther King was not ready and waiting on that phone call and saying, this is great. I've been feeling this is what I'm going to do. As a matter of fact, he was not sure if he would host that meeting that night to protest and talk about what kind of protest they would have. As a matter of fact, he was called by a man who was in the civil rights movement there in Montgomery, Alabama, and said, we would like to meet at your church Dr. King said at that time, a young man with a family who knew that there was a problem that was coming, a storm that was brewing, said, I'm going to think about it. I have no doubt he began to pray about it. And the matter of fact, that man who called him back, called him back a number of hours later, and he said, it's okay, you can come to my church and we'll host that meeting. He said, that's a good thing because I've already invited 18 people. It'd be weird if you didn't show up as the pastor of that church, so I'm glad you said that. But isn't it amazing that God had a path for Dr. King to bring so much change and it wasn't even something that he was rushing to find. It was his destiny. It was God's plan for him that in some ways found him when he was unsuspecting. Do you guys understand? I mean, what a powerful thing to be reminded on this weekend that we all have one life, There's an old, old hymn that says, only one life so soon it will pass and only what is done for Christ will last. So we give to Jesus all of our days because it's the only life that pays when you recall that you have but one life. And isn't it interesting? I, I don't know if you guys have ever thought of it in this way. Sometimes it's almost embarrassing that I have a life, you have a life, we have a life, and then there's people like Dr. King his life, and the absolute same thing that we have, and yet the impact that just reverberates. Now, I know that God has called all of us to be our own person, and where he has called us is his choice, and it is our responsibility to follow that. But isn't it amazing, the power of just one woman like Rosa Parks, as a catalyst that touches the life of Dr. King, as the catalyst who hosts a meeting And they have a montgomery bus boycott and outward it ripples and it goes all the way up to the supreme court and changes and begins the process of change that we're still working to realize even to this day it's an amazing thing if we think about it but let me ask you this question his life our life so much difference in the impact and I believe that the impact that he made is because he laid down his life for a cause that was greater than him. As a matter of fact, he had bomb threats. He had bombs exploded near his house all because of the racism that he faced. But he did not say, hey, my life is more valuable. I've got to stop. I've got to stop giving this thing so much voice. Instead, he said, no, this is worth living for, and it's even worth dying for. I think for me personally, if you will allow me to just simply speak, I would say that in our world, we cease to see people like Dr. Martin Luther King because we have figured that the best way for us to find happiness and meaning in our life is for us to put us at the center of our life. But that's not how he became great, is it? He put a cause greater than himself at the center of his life. He put the Lord at the center of his life. It's not a a happenstance that his actual full title would be the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. He had the Lord at the center. And as a matter of fact, if you look here, you can see... He's preaching and teaching at a crowd, uh, at a civil rights group here. And what does it have? It has a Bible verse. So much of what he did was straight from the scriptures. The very same scriptures, by the way, that racists were using to somehow justify their hatred and their racism and their segregation. I don't know how that works, to be honest with you, but I think we need to be very, very careful that we never find within our scriptures those things that promote hate. But you can see here, Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Powerful remembrances. And here's what I would share with you and with me today. For many of us, this journey that we are on has been a long, strange trip recently. And let me just shift to where we are. In 2022, as we begin it, it's been weird these last couple of years. Can I get an amen? I mean, it's been weird. I mean... It's weird again. Right at the moment that we think we're going to cross a line and say, okay, things are going to kind of start getting back to normal. Every time that happens, something else happens, right? And we can't seem to ever find this place of footing that stays solid for just a little bit of time. Here's the truth. I believe on our journey, we've learned some things. And it's been very, very much clear to us if we're just willing to pay attention. I think one of the things that we realize is, is that, Basically, we are designed to be together. We're designed to be together. I think also, too, there is no way that we can take about two years out of our life and turn ourselves totally inward-focused, never outward-focused, but just inward, and it's about us and us alone for a two-year period of time without suffering some pretty dire consequences. As you look and see the mental health issue that has now become what they call a, an epidemic in, a, in conjunction with the other physical epidemic, there is the mental and emotional one where there are people that are committing suicide on a level that has never been seen. The truth of the matter is, is that there are people that are hurting in ways that cannot be even described and are usually hidden. There are people that are feeling isolated as never before. And all of these things are happening because we've done what thing? We've done that thing where we say, oh, the most important thing is for me to worry about me. Now, I want to be very clear about something. We today celebrate a great life. A great life that said it's not about me. And my life is not worth outliving something if it's not worth living for this. And then we, in the same breath, say we've got to worry about us first and foremost, last and always. Those don't compute, those don't jive, those don't fit. Now, I'm in a little bit of a challenging position. Today, and most days when I'm up here, I find myself behind the pulpit telling you, I want you to do this one thing. And as you leave, this is the one thing that you need to do. Today, I can't give you a very, very tangible, solid, specific thing. Because the one thing that I actually wanted to tell you guys was that we were gonna go to a shelter and go and serve people. Ladies who were struggling and trying to get back on their feet, ladies who were needing help at a shelter, we were gonna go and serve food like we did about three months ago. It was an awesome time. You know what I found out? Because of the rise of the Omicron virus, we're not allowing any outside guests to come in. And so those people that were coming in and helping before can now no longer come, at least until into the month of February. And I'm like, wah, wah. This is great. Been talking about it, been excited about it, been promoting it. Been feeling the, you know, the real excitement of like, man, I'm ready to do something for someone, right? And then they're like, no, not yet. So I love that kind of thing, and it just all caved in on me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But it doesn't change anything. What I want to talk to you today about is shifting your mindset. And it's really easy whenever you begin to put feet to the the shift that you make. And it's really, really difficult whenever things are start and go, start and go. But I'm here to tell you, you and I have to get to the place where we cease to see everything through the lens of me. We have to. It's not always about me. And if it is always about me, then that is the path and the road that leads not only to a lack of greatness in my life, but also it leads to a problem and a cloud that f- follows me wherever I go. You guys with me? Y'all, y'all with me? Can I get an amen real quick just to let y'all know? Okay. Can I get somebody to say yes? Yes. Right, Man, is that all I needed to do? I've been waiting on that for a little while. That's, That's cool. All right, so let's go to this next slide, and let's talk a little bit more. David Jeremiah, in the book forward, said this. Many of us fill the majority of our hours with diversions, and only a few of us fill our hours with dreams. But our world is shaped by determined dreamers, by men and women of vision, and like them, you need a dream to achieve your goal. Here's what I would say. If you have been feeling that emptiness or that cloud or that, oh, or that fear that just sets in because, let's be honest, it's not all going to be okay every single moment of every single day, is it? It's just not. I'm sorry. New world order is, everything's not going to be perfectly safe, 100% guaranteed. How many of y'all know that's gone? It's gone. But how many of y'all know God is still in control even though that's gone? Amen. So, so here's what we have to do and decide. We have to say, this is how I'm going to choose to live my life. I won't do those things, but I still will do these things. I'm going to shift my mind where it's not all about me and I'm going to begin and make it something else and whatever that looks like. Now, that may mean that you are a blessing to a neighbor that you haven't talked to in a few weeks or months or years, right? Right. Maybe it's that. And maybe you're like, well, I don't know what their vaccinated status is. And I'm like, okay, cool. That's fine. Wear three masks and go give them a blessing, right? You know, whatever that looks like. But ultimately, we have to figure out what we do. You're like, Randy, figure it out. I can't figure it out for you. I don't know what you're afraid of. I don't know where you're at in your mind. But here's what I know. It's been told to you and to me that we need to stay in this mindset where we're at the center And I'm here to tell you that is the path of destruction of our own emotional health. It is also the path of destruction for our own spiritual health. And truthfully, we need to find a different path because, you know, I I, I don't want to be that guy who's like, "Ah, I I don't want to be that guy, but here's the truth. The truth of the matter is, is that ultimately pandemic or no, we're supposed to live as Christians. We're supposed to live our lives according to the things that God has said to do and the way that he has said to order our lives. And so pandemic or no, we need to find what it looks like. Because if we know it's not going back to the old way, then we got to find a new way to live like his followers and let our life start resembling the greatest life, not Martin Luther King, but the greatest life, the life of Jesus Christ and mirroring that life. Amen? All right. So very quickly, this is our one to remember. And this is important as we see this one to remember from Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 through 14. He says, My brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself to yet have taken hold of this thing. But one thing I do, I forget what's behind me. I strain towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. In other words, I've got things that I regret in my past... I've got things I wish I could change in my past. I've got things that I'm not proud of in my past. But I'm going to forget those things and not let them chain me today. I'm going to stretch instead towards growing to become worthy of the thing that God has called me towards. The high calling, as the King James Version says, says he's called me to something higher. Can I get an amen on the fact that we've got things that we want to leave behind, but we've also got things that we need to strain towards? Can I get an amen on that? There's things that we need to leave behind about what is in our past, what we have done. And truth be told, that doesn't change if we give it tons of interest or no interest at all. But here's what does change. Our momentum towards what God has called us for. If we're constantly looking back, it's really hard to move towards what is ahead. And so very quickly, I share with you something that I shared a couple of weeks back. And these are the goals that I think have to do with all the things that you and I are looking to do. And I won't go through all of them, but it begins and ends with God's plan. It's his plan, not ours. We overcome things. We are intentional in not only the goal, but also the plan on how to get there because intentional action is the way that a life is changed and makes an impact. We learn that is not just growing in competence with something that we're doing, but also in the character that develops when we're doing those things. And then service, doing something for others' benefit. If you haven't figured it out, that's where we're going to camp today. It's service, doing something for others. The, the example that Dr. Martin Luther King shared and something that I believe that Christ clearly said as well. Let's go to this next slide. In the uh, purpose-driven life, what on earth am I here for? Rick Warren said that everything that is about a purpose-driven life as well as a purpose-driven church has five pillars. We talk about this as well around here, but these are the five pillars and very quickly you can memorize them, they're M's, five M's and everything that you have that you need to have a balanced life is here and everything that we need as a balanced church is here. Church or person, it's the same thing, but here's what I'm here to tell you, if you're not doing one of these things, things start to get imbalanced. So if you're doing two or three of these things but not the others, things will constantly be out of balance. And, and I don't have time to go through. If you don't do this, then this is what it looks like. If you don't do this, this is what it's. it's. Just trust me, I'm telling you. I've lived this way where there's one or two of these things that were not happening. But basically, you begin with who you worship. You begin, the second thing, with those people that are around you doing life together with you. We talk a lot about that. And then there is maturity, which is growing in your faith, not just simply kind of existing in faith. But then there is ministry, which is serving others. We're going to talk a little bit about that. And then there is mission, which is sharing the gospel, the motivation for how you are serving people and why. And so these are the things that you must have in your life for it to be a balanced and purpose-driven life. Minus one, minus two, minus three, whatever it is, if you don't have all five, things get out of kilter, and they get out of kilter quick. Let's go to this next slide. This is the big idea. In our world, mere consumers are common, but true greatness, what? Gives. Greater love hath no man than this, than he laid down his life for his friends. Right? You've heard that before. And then the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then you go and you see that God loves a cheerful giver, not just financially, but a person who says, it is my joy to be able to, in the name of Christ, serve you. Now, last week we talked. Last week we shared a video. And by the way, I know some of you were here early to watch that video early. We're going to be sharing the second video and we're sharing that late. So if you weren't able to be here and see in person the video that we shared for what we were doing down in Mexico at the Gethsemane Orphanage, stay a little bit. There's about an eight minute video or so that you can watch in person. We can't Broadcast this. We can't share this over Facebook because it's unsafe for the kids and the workers there sometimes. So we don't do that. We don't publish it. We don't put it over the internet. We don't stream it. So you got to be here. Now we're doing that again next week, and that'll be the last time. So if you are not here, you got to get here next week or you got to contact me. And I think most of you know my number. Maybe Scott might be able to put up a lower third or something like that here in a minute. Um, but you can find my number, make sure and get in touch with me. I want you to see it because it's a blessing. But let's remember in our world, mere consumers are common, but true greatness gives. Can we say this together out loud? Uh, not that, not yet. <laughs> can we say this together? Pastor Randy. Okay, side note while we're getting back to the big idea. Do you guys have Siri read you your text sometimes and she talks about the emoji? That's the most interesting thing in the world. Like she's like heart, heart emoji or she'll say kissy face emoji. Have you all heard that? That is great. Shelly always sends me kissy face emojis or uh, the heart All over the face. Y'all have ever seen that one? It's so interesting to hear what Siri calls each emoji. It's so interesting. All right, now we're back. Okay, very good. Let's share together the big idea. Can you guys share it out loud with me? In our world, mere consumers are common, but true greatness gives. Amen. So very quickly, let me share with you from Matthew chapter 25. I told you I'd get there. Here's the first. I'm going to share with you the second in just a little bit. Beginning in chapter 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in glory and all of the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him. He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come, You who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. And when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. And when I was a stranger, you invited me in. When I needed clothes, you clothed me. And when I was sick, you looked after me. And when I was in prison, you came and visited me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? thirsty and give you something to drink? And when do we see you as a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and then go to visit you? And then the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for who? For me. So the Lord tells us there That whenever we spend our lives to serve those who need someone to serve them, we are doing it for them? Yeah. But who are we ultimately doing it for? We're doing it for who? Him. You did it for the least of these, not because you wanted to serve the least of these alone. You did it in my name. You did it for me powerful, very, very powerful. So let's just talk a little bit about this. Let's go to our next slide here, and let's just look at this something to learn. Paul faced opposition in Corinth, particularly by people that were influenced by the slander of who he called the super apostles. He didn't back down because of their complaints or their questions. He just kept serving them. Here's what was going on in the book of Corinthians. You can go back and look at it, especially in 2 Corinthians. But basically, there were people who didn't have nearly the credentials, nor nearly the credibility, nor nearly the resume, nor nearly the character of Paul, but they were acting like they were the ones who were really in charge there, even though Paul was the missionary planter of that church. And they started slandering him, and Paul was like, Are you kidding me? And here's what was even crazier. As Paul went and served the Corinthian church, he let other churches support him financially. He didn't ask for a dime. But the super apostles came and said, we're such good teachers, you need to pay us. And so they got paid while Paul did not. And because of that, somewhere in their twisted and warped thinking, the Corinthian church said, well, they must be really something because they demand money, but Paul doesn't. And Paul's like, are you kidding me? These other churches are paying for my financial support, and you are getting taken advantage of by these people who don't actually care about you. They act like they're something and they're nothing. I'm the one who came to share the gospel with you from a long ways away. I came to share these things because they're so important. How can you turn your back? They said, no, 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 these guys are the real guys. But I want you to hear something that Paul did. Now, time out. I know some of y'all are not as bad as I am, but maybe, maybe one or two of y'all can relate. Here's what I would probably have done had I been Paul. I was like, y'all deserve each other. Enjoy, I'm out, and I'm gone. You don't want me here? You're not gonna treat me that way? Fine, good, I'm gone. I I know none of y'all are that petty, but I've heard there are people that petty, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about? None of y'all, right? None of y'all would ever be that petty. But let's pretend to somebody. You know who they are? There, that, that person over there to your left, right? You know, I'm kidding. <laughs> this group over here is like, there's nobody but the wall. Who's he talking about? I'm kidding, trying to be funny. It's hard for me. I'm trying. Here's the truth. That's what most of us would do, isn't it? We're like, look, y'all deserve each other. I'm done. I'm out. What did Paul do? He said no. You're my spiritual children. I'm not going to leave you. Go to this next slide. This is so powerful. It just, it's beautiful. And this is condensed so you can understand. But 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11 through 13, he said, I've made a fool of myself, but you drove me to it. Here's what he did right before this passage. He goes, Man, I'm a Pharisee. I persecuted the church. I've been at the foot of Gamaliel. I I mean, I was there. I chased people down. That's how much zeal I had. But then this is what happened. God showed himself literally, physically, knocking me down with a vision from heaven on the Damascus road. Like he goes, "Ah." (laughs) Mm -hmm. Told you it might happen. I'm going to step back and settle down a little bit. Here's what he said. I've made a fool of myself, but you drove me to it. I'm sitting here giving you my resume like it's a big deal that you should be paying attention. I don't even think I should be giving you my resume because you've seen how I've lived among you. But now you've driven me to this because I'm so desperate to reach back out and reconnect. And he goes, I'm not the least inferior to the super apostles. I demonstrated among you the marks of a true apostle, including signs, wonders, miracles. How are you inferior to the other churches except I was never a burden? Forgive me of this wrong. In other words, he's like, tongue in cheek, he's like, oh, forgive me for never asking for a dime from you. And then let's go to this next slide here. Isn't it interesting? Sometimes the biggest obstacle to serving others is dealing with others. How many of y'all know that? How many of y'all have ever tried to serve somebody in your family and it just didn't work out and you came away with a bitter taste in your mouth? I know we're not talking about anybody who's here together right now. I know that. But y'all know who I'm talking about. That person that shows up on Thanksgiving. You know who I mean, right? That one. You try to be nice. You try to be good. Mm Mm-mm, doesn't work. And you're like, somebody slap me if I ever try to do that again. Right? But you know what Paul said? He said something so powerful. Let's go back one slide. I don't even know. Is there a slide right before this as well? I don't know. I may have screwed it up. Okay, I did. I screwed it up. But here's what he says, and this is so incredibly powerful, and I wish I could tell it to you a little bit more clearly, but Paul said, no, 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 you don't understand. You're chasing after these people who want to abuse you and take advantage of you, but I don't care. I'm pursuing you because I love you that much and I will not stop loving you even if you stop loving me. I will not stop serving you even if you want someone else to serve you because I am willing to spend and be expended. You guys know what expended, like exp- just and all. I'm willing to spend myself spend my time, spend my money, spend my, my, my grace, all these things. I'm going to give everything I got. And when I don't think I've got more, I'm going to pour the rest of it out and make sure that every single drop has been spent on you. How many of you guys have kids? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Nobody drives you crazier than your kids. They should all be in the back. So we're okay. We can just talk amongst ourselves here. Nobody drives you crazier than your kids and you just want to be like, shake them. But you would give them every single thing that you have. You will spend everything that you've got and expend everything that you've ever earned for your kids. I will spend and expend so that you might be bettered. Right? This is why living a different life after your kids are born, (laughs) we grow up, We stop focusing just on self when we begin to focus on another life that is not our own. I'm going to move real quickly here, but here's what I want to remind you of. Paul says, I'm willing to spend and expend because you are the thing that God has called me to do. He's called me to plant churches. He's called me to be a blessing. He's called me to teach the gospel. I'm going to do it. I'll give every bit of my energy until I'm not even here anymore. When the Lord calls me home, it's done. But until then, you're getting everything I got. Want it or not, love it or not, appreciate it or not, it doesn't matter. I'm willing to spend and expend on your behalf. You guys with me? Amen. Okay. So others themselves are the obstacle. Let's go to our next slide very quickly. Oh, there it is. I will be, gladly spend everything for you, I, everything that I have, and I will expend myself as well. Next slide. Society reinforces that happiness comes by doing what you want and what benefits you. This is something that we've got to stop and cease to believe. I've already talked a lot about this, so I won't stay here for very long. But let's go to our next slide here. And then, thirdly, let's be honest we're busy, and sometimes we're lazy. Now, I want to be very clear, I'm not here to try to pick a fight with you, and laziness can mean something that sometimes you might not understand. Laziness doesn't mean you're laying in bed all day. Laziness means that you just give in to the easiest thing. The moment that it feels this way, then I go with that, and it's just easy. But how many of you realize that just as we've said before, the, the thing that makes a river crooked and a life crooked is giving in to the path of least resistance, right? The truth of the matter is is that in our lives, we will never build a great life unless we begin to live by the compass and not by the clock. Like we have to make time. We have to make time and decisions based on our true north, which is supposed to be the Lord and His word. And the truth of the matter is is that you and I find ways to make sure that we fit in those things which we value. And so if you don't have certain things in your life, that is a clue in that you do not value that enough to make time for it. Sorry to be so blunt, just trying to keep it real. The truth of the matter is is that if you know you need to do something, you will find a way. You'll make room. You'll make time. The reason That you make time as you know that it's important. And when it's not quite as important, you start making, not time, but you make excuses. And that's what I'm talking about with laziness. I know I'm not talking to people who lay in bed all day, every day. I'm not talking to people who don't work their tail end off. I'm not talking to people who aren't smart, intelligent people. But I'm telling you that we as a society have given in too easily to the things that we feel in a moment. And how many times have we given into something that we wish we hadn't given into in a moment? Look back and go, you know, I really should have done what I knew I said, what I committed that I would do. I really should have done those things because the truth is, is when I do those things that are on the compass and not on the clock, I feel better about myself, builds momentum in my life, just changes everything, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? How many of y'all know it's easier to watch Netflix than to go serve somebody? But how many of y'all know it's a whole different ballgame at the end of it all? Man, you've seen the whole, man, you're like, one more, one more, one more, one more. By the end of it, you're like, man, I got one more video. I don't even really want to watch it, but I may as well finish it. You know, and you're like, I've wasted a whole seven, eight hours. And yet we can't find 30 minutes to make a phone call to somebody we know is lonely. I'm talking to me. I'm talking to me. But maybe you can jump in and know what I'm talking about. Very quickly, I know, my time is gone. My time is gone. We're gonna go on very quickly. Let's talk about what we need and what we can leave behind. What we need is a commitment to consistently, tangibly serve others with our time, talent, and treasure. That's what we need. Then let's go to our next slide here. Here's what we can leave behind. A self-focused existence that suffers from a lack of of variety, meaning, and real joy. Have y'all noticed How for a long, long time, it feels like everything just kind of flows together. Because all those things that kind of divided up our days and our time, just, they've stopped. And it just feels like life is passing, but we're not really engaging. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Why? Because the variety that we want, the variety that makes life better is found in doing something different than just what we want at the very moment that we want it. I encourage you to think deeply on the fact that a beautiful steak dinner that I love like yes I mean I'm texting to the core make it a ribeye and make it about that thick and medium rare for me sir thank you very much. Two days in a row awesome three days in a row fantastic four days in a row Getting a little less excited, but I'm still here for it. Seven days in a row, great, incredible, amazing steak. Probably not quite the same level. Ten days in a row, I'm looking for anything. 12, 15, 18 days in a row, I'm like, do you have a cheap hamburger patty on a bun? Because I just need something different. Amen? The world is telling you that the joy is found in doing exactly what you want when you want it every moment of every day, and yet we've done that for about two years, and we're worse here, here, and out here than we've ever been. You figure it out. Just saying. All right, I'm going to stop just saying and end with a big question, and then we're going to see a video very quickly, and we're going to call it, call it good. Here's the big question. This is from David Jeremiah in his book from Forward. That's the one I've been talking about. Investing and outliving your life was the chapter. He said, we all need to ask ourselves this question. How much would my life be worth if I lost every dime that I have? How much would your life and my life be worth if we lost all of our money? Because the truth is, is that we only have one life. And so soon it will pass. And only what's done for Christ will last. And can I warn you one other thing? I already read this, Matthew 25, to you. This is usually where we stop. We usually stop where he says, if you did it for the least of these, you did it for me. But the scary part is something that we don't often read or we forget. Verse 41, I ended in 40 a minute ago. 41 says, then he'll say to those on the left, depart from me. You cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you didn't look after me. And they'll answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger, needing clothes, sick in prison, didn't help you? Truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do it for Me, and then they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This is a hard saying, but I'm here to tell you that it is my responsibility as your pastor to say, this isn't a choice you get to make. It's great if you do, but it is also scary if you choose not to serve. Part of the problem of our world is that there are so few Dr. Martin Luther King's. There are so few people who look like Christ so much that it cannot be denied. We, we think it's our choice and our decision. And the Lord said, no, if you didn't do it for the least of these, then you also did not choose to do it for me. It's important that we understand that when we choose to serve others, we have the positive. But if we choose not to, and we choose to make ourselves the center of our focus and the center of our world, then we must stand before the Lord and say, yeah, that life that Dr. King did all that stuff with, guess what I did? I finished Netflix. I enjoyed myself. I did these awesome things. And he'll say, but what did you do for others, especially those who needed you to speak on their behalf, who needed you to feed them and clothe them and visit them in prison and do something that got you off the couch and into life? What did you do for them? And you're like, ah, I just never really felt like it was the time. Man, what a wasted, wasted life. Can I just say, I think we're smarter than that, and I think we're better than that, and I know that he is. (laughs) Interestingly, today is a difficult day, like I said, because I can't just simply encourage right away these things that we've been pushing towards have fallen kind of by the wayside, but there will be chances and choices and opportunities. Today in a lot of churches have been encouraged to look at it as service Sunday. Service Sunday. To serve those who need to be blessed. To serve those who need to know that Christ cares about them, whatever that might look like. And so as we end, there's a short video with a prayer for service Sunday. And here's what I'm asking for you to do. Make a decision that beyond the emotion of today, It doesn't matter if the emotion is there or not. You live by the compass and not the clock. You live by the true north that is the Lord and his sayings and his teachings and his example. You look at others who are doing something in the name of Christ and making an impact and you follow their lead. Not because it's easy, not because it's in the moment, but because it is the right thing to do and it is the command of your king. Make the decision that you no longer live just for you but instead you live to be a blessing and to serve others may god help us
1: oh lord on this day when we remember outspoken voices who championed human dignity the full worth of the human spirit and peacefully demanded justice for the oppressed we follow in the footsteps of all those who went before us. In service to our fellow human beings, we reach far into our communities, refusing to turn back to old ways, marching ahead in peace and acceptance, celebrating the truth of God's love for all, and standing by the knowledge that all people are created equal. Faith lived out, requires our presence and strength to speak out against injustice and to turn our backs against what harms our fellow man. Jesus showed us a more excellent way to love, that we should reach across the aisle and hold the hand of those who are not the same, just as Jesus did. We will wrap our arms around our community. Our voices will no longer be weak or unsure. We won't turn a blind eye to broken promises, but instead ride on God's mighty truth, the full length and breadth that is required of us. We will defend as He defends, support as He supports, do as He did, love as He commands. Amen.
0: Amen. Well, thank you so much for your time and for your attention. Thank you also for the extra moments today that you have allowed me. If you are interested, you can stay and watch what we've done down at the Gethsemane Orphanage in Mexico. It's a different video than the one that was early. But if you've already seen it last week, that's great as well. And online, God bless you. Looking forward to seeing your faces eventually. And thank you. And today, as we end, we're going to say it. And I'm going to let you guys say it this time because my voice is just about done. Can y'all all all stand together with me as we are dismissed? And you guys can say it. We've just heard God's word. All right, let's go live it. God bless you guys. You're dismissed. Love y'all. Have a great day.